There is a gold mine of data found in your customer support tickets, feedback, bugs, operational improvements, product ideas, you name it. Your customers are begging you to fix their problems. And our sponsor this week, OmniPanel, does the job to surface all these insights for you automatically and send them to the right person on your team. Next time there's a bug request, boom, goes to the product department. Next time there's an operational idea, great, goes to your COO. There's never been something like this before and I'm really excited to share OmniPanel with you, a great software to streamline all these requests. If you're interested in trying out OmniPanel, go to omnipanel.io and let them know Forward Thinking Founders sent you. That is O-M-N-I-P-A-N-E-L dot I-O. Thank you so much OmniPanel for sponsoring this episode of Forward Thinking Founders. Now let's get into today's episode. What is going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. I am very grateful to have your attention, at least for the next 15 minutes of this episode. Forward Thinking Founders is a podcast where I interview pre-seed and seed stage founders about their products, what they want to build into the world, and why. We dive into how they spend their time, what's their vision, what's the origin of stories, all these things, so you can learn all about what's coming tomorrow. Because these companies haven't hit critical scale yet. Most of them haven't hit product market fit. These are just early stage companies. And the big question is, what can this be? And in this podcast, we bring that out. So with that, I really hope you enjoy your time listening to today's episode. And I've already done 200 plus. So if you like this one, listen to some of the other ones, like with Imadi Kund, Austin Allred, Leah Culver. We have great interviews. So check it out. Enjoy the repository. And for now, let's get into today's episode. Here we go. All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. We talk to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Nir Kabesa, who's the co-founder of Yup. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Hey, Matt. Nice to be here. Yeah, excited to have you on and learn more about what you're working on. For people that don't know what Yup is, can you please share what it is? Yeah, so Yup is a decentralized social network that essentially rewards opinions and engagement across the web. Uh, you like, rate, comment on anything on your favorite sites. And if other influential people agree with you, you actually get paid and you build a reputation in certain categories. So, you know, if you know a lot about music and you have good opinions around music, you quickly build a reputation around that and earn money in crypto. Um, yeah, we're a team out of Columbia and we really love what we're doing. So let's kind of walk through like how, how it would work. Is this something that um, I could do on any website or like, I guess if I was, if I wanted to use Yup, let's start there. How, um, how would I use it? Is like an extension? Is it an app? How, how, how do I get started with Yup? Exactly. So the, the beta version we have out right now is an extension and it essentially overlays across all the sites that you're on. So let's imagine you're on Twitter and you see a certain tweet that you like, you'll actually see a Yup button next to the like button that allows you to rate things in various categories. I think this tweet is really smart. I really like this tweet or I think it's stupid, whatever it may be. Um, and essentially works like that overlaid and integrated with specific sites that, that, are, that, that really benefit from this kind of thing. So like Google, Google Maps, um, uh, YouTube, uh, Reddit, Twitter, and so on. And then in addition to that, you can actually use the extension directly to rate any site that you're on across the web. So if I'm on a specific CNN article or something like that, and I think it's really interesting. I can, I can like it that way. Um, everything I do on the extension then gets to the web app. We have a very basic web app to sort of showcase the things that you're liking and rating and see an aggregated feed of like the best content across the web. Um, but primarily you use it through the extension. So let's say I'm on 
you know, Twitter and, and, and kind of using your, using your platform. Um, and I'm on different sites using your platform, I guess, like, where, where am I able to see the, I guess, like fruits of that effort? Like, like at, what, at what point am I, do I like get insight from that? Or I guess what's the next step into, um, yep. Um, after all this data is, is kind of collected on the different parts of the internet. Yeah, so essentially, you know, we want to be the reputation layer of the web. And so even today, when you're using Yup through the extension, there's actually a color-coded mechanism that shows you how socially valuable everything is across the web. So imagine you're searching something on Google or you're looking in your Twitter feed. You'll actually see things color-coded, whether they be the tweets or the users themselves or a, the website that you're, that you're searching on Google. Um, you know, green is good, red is bad, and, and it just sort of shows you the social value there. And so the idea is that over time, we have a good representation of, of how people feel about essentially every URL, every user, every piece of content across the web. Um, and so that's really our focus long term is, you know, make a market around influence, bring the tail end curators who are on the web into, into the influence economy and really allow, you know, users to have a very clear picture of what's socially valuable online. Love to go a little back in time and hear about why you decided to start up and what the origin or story for it is. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, I'm Israeli American. I had the opportunity to serve in the Israeli army in the military in, in, in military intelligence. That's sort of where I, I, I got to be very passionate about uh, blockchains, in particular around sort of Web three governance, reputation mechanisms. Uh, when I got I, when I got to Colombia in 2016, I just went deeper down that rabbit hole, and I met my co-founder Vernon, who was very involved with the organization on campus, Blockchain at Columbia, uh, which he and I both had the the, the pleasure of leading in different times. Uh, during our period at Columbia, um, and uh, really, you know, we 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 became very fascinated with this rep with this with this notion of like online influence. How do you represent influence online? How is that very different to the way that we have social capital among each other? And the more we looked into it, the more we felt that it could be solved if you could really incentivize behavior around it. And that really, there's nothing at stake today in the way that you're engaging with things online. And and we really felt that. And we felt that through others, whether that be. Um, elections or reviews on Amazon or whatever it may be, people are feeling like they're, they're losing their faith in, in the metrics that they're seeing and there's a real lack of clarity uh, around, around what that's supposed to mean for them. Um, and that really drove us down this path and uh, had, you know, had the opportunity to bring on really good uh, team members from Colombia and sort of focus on this uh, throughout. Uh, we, we started our first sort of alpha launch for Columbia students uh, last September, uh, where we basically built these features out for like, uh, rating professors, rating courses and things like that. We had a really awesome guerrilla marketing campaign on campus where we partnered with like 18 venues around Columbia and sort of covered Columbia's campus in these colors, sort of senior prank style, which was super fun and had a lot of really good engagement and, and, and um, learned a lot from, our, from like our initial users. Uh, on campus. And so, you know, really working off of that and raising some money and, and now graduating in May, we've been primarily focusing on really scaling the network, getting to a place where it's not just the opinions of, of Columbia students or early users, but we're actually tracking the activity of the most influential entities across the web. You know, when, when Trump likes something that has an effect on, on, on Twitter as a whole, when Kanye likes something that has an effect on Twitter as a whole, we're not waiting for them to become members of the YEP community. We're actually tracking the activities that they're doing so, you know, if you get a like from Kanye, that's going to have a certain value to it. That's going to earn you a certain amount of money and, and, and earn your and increase your influence. And so, yeah, that's that's really been the main focus and our, our general direction. You know, we want to get to a place where people have reputation at stake when they're engaging with things online and have a very clear picture of, of the social value of everything. Um, yeah. I'm kind of interested to hear 
how do you what how do you communicate this to the market or, or i guess like do you have an ideal um first users that people that like you know have influence online like creatives or influencers as your average everyday you know internet user kind of who, who do you want using this ideally yeah that's a great question we, we've been primarily focusing on um nano influencers so users who have around one to ten thousand followers uh to, as we as sort of our target audience at this point um, because we think they benefit the most from a platform like this and being early movers in a platform like this uh, they have enough influence that they really want to be able to leverage it and monetize it but not necessarily enough where it's as liquid as they would like it to be and so there's value there that's very illiquid it's a very large like part of the of the internet there's around 400 million nano influencers so you know really focus within that um, in particular industries we're looking a lot at crypto obviously that's the space that we're in but also uh, gaming and music. And even within that, primarily focusing on curators rather than creators. And I think this is a big differentiation to what you'll see with a lot of other social networks is we're, we're focused on you know, those who are most opinionated, those who, the, who do the best retweeting, who have really strong opinions around specific uh, things rather than uh, photographers or models or something that's more sort of you know, content heavy um, in the way that they engage with these platforms. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, so far the, the response has been really awesome. We have a lot of YouTube streamers and, and artists who use it um, primarily in that nano influencer range. And it's really trying to work from there and, 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 build, a, and build a community that way. And you mentioned, I, be, I believe if I heard you correctly, when you were in the, the um, IDF, that's when you became interested in like blockchain. Um, uh, I'm curious, why, like, why at that point did you become interested in blockchain? And what, a block, what about blockchain is interesting to you? Um, like, what, you know, when you first got into it, like, why was it interesting then? Yeah, definitely. So I think, I think the reason it was so close to the people around me is just spending a lot of time with, with people in the, in the intelligence units who are very focused on cybersecurity and cryptography. And so especially among the young, the young ones among us, there was a lot of passion and, and support for Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies that were coming out at that time. It's around 2014 to 2016. Um, and uh, really, you know, that, that for me was interesting just from a technological standpoint. But I think where I got to a place where I really wanted to, you know, commit my life to this technology or like the, to the use cases that it enables uh, was when I got to Columbia and spent time really around that circle and went down that rabbit hole. And I think for me, what was most interesting about it is really using like core economic primitives to solve a lot of sort of humanitarian issues the way that I see them really around transparency, around privacy, around access and permission, but, but through these sort of real sort of game theoretical market design primitives that, that you would learn in, in sort of an economics class. Um, and I thought that was a really strong solution um, to, to, to a lot of these problems. And, 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 and really just, you know, having taken a lot of economics courses at Columbia, in parallel to, to getting a good grasp of what's happening and how, and how blockchain works, it really opened my eyes to a lot of the issues that I think exist around our money supply, the way we run, conduct monetary policy, um, and, and, and you know, in, in tandem to that, a lot of the faults of sort of capitalism at a large scale with, with, with um, you know, titans of industry and, and, and a very strong central government. Um, and so just been really interested in sort of looking at those things, and I think timing had a lot to do with it. Uh, but today, I'm just very passionate about that space altogether. I would say I spend the majority of my time um, sort of thinking about it, writing about it, um, surrounding myself with people who are interested in it. Um, and I haven't looked back. You know. Yeah, that, 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 that's fantastic. I remember when I first 
got into blockchain. I mean, I wouldn't say it was like getting into blockchain, but was aware of it. Uh, it was during, of course, the 2017 rise and fall of Bitcoin. At that point, I was doing all this research, and of course, to discover blockchain. Um, and one thing that was interesting to me, that a lot of like some criticism of blockchain was that the technology is fantastic, but there weren't as many like practical, not is the word practical? Sure, practical like applications of blockchain as people would want. Um, I'm kind of curious for you, um, where do you see blockchain on like like the timeline of blockchain? And do you feel like there are plenty of applications being built? Could we be just before then? Is it a length away? Has it been happening for years? Where do you think we are on the timeline of blockchain op- adoption? Yeah, definitely. I, I think, you know, I was just talking about this with a, with a, with a friend a few days ago, that it's, it's a very interesting space because it's so liquid, right? So you have these like early startups that have tokens that essentially represent the company um, that are, that are, that are public within the first few months of the existence of the company, right? And people are trading them publicly and, 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 and contributing their own code and their own, their own uh, collaborations um, that it seems to react really quickly and very drastically to, to upgrades that happen. So, you know, I would certainly call what happened in 2017 a bubble. I would certainly call what's happening now around decentralized finance a bubble. And I think the reason that some of that stuff happens is because um, every time there's like an, there's a significant in- innovation around this space, it's very easy to build markets around it. And it's very easy to build liquidity around it. And so just like in the ICO bubble, people are coming back again and taking advantage of what is a really incredible, robust, decentralized financial infrastructure that's been built on Ethereum and try to leverage that in order to fundraise again. Um, you know, the, 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 the way that people feel about tokens changes during, during bear markets versus bull markets and stuff like that as well. And so, you know, I just think that's a very interesting part of the crypto space is that when every time we have like a technological leap, right, imagine almost like AI, you know, the AI space, GPT-3 comes out, you know, it doesn't have that same effect on the markets in the way that you see in crypto. And so I think that has a big part of why people feel like you know, we're seeing frothiness that doesn't represent the actual value that that's coming out of these, you know, technological innovations so far. Uh, that being said, I think we are pretty far along and seeing some really interesting uh, applications being being used within the crypto space. Um, but I think that we are a very long, long ways away um, uh, from seeing adoption and really application of these use cases across the board. And I think a lot of it has to do with more regulatory bodies as much as the technical uh, the technological advances. Uh, meaning, you know, it's really a paradigm shift in the way that you think about a stakeholder, the way you think about equity, the way you think about a user or a participant, the way you think about investors and, and so on and so forth. Um, the role that the, gover- that, the, that the company plays within a product and so on and so forth. And, and really, I think our laws don't, don't allow for it in the same way that I think, you know, for example, Uber and, and Lyft are facing, you know, like issues around employment in, in California, when the reality of the matter is just those employment laws aren't built for the, the kind of system that, you know, we have around like gig economies uh, in the case of, of Uber and Lyft, I think similar things are, are happening in crypto and will continue to happen in crypto that really prevent the, the technology, the blockchain technology from doing what it can. Uh, I think a great example of this is, is, you know, Libra, you know, Facebook's Libra, where they had all the distribution in the world to actually allow for a significant strong use case, like a payments use case, micropayments, microtransactions use cases, uh, for wallets of every Facebook user because they have so many users and that distribution would be so strong. But it's actually the fact that they could have done it so powerfully and so effectively is the same reason why govern, governments and central banks across the world are so staunchly against it, right? So those, those things do have a push and pull that, that don't just have to do with the technology, but have to do with the sort of general acceptance 
um, of, of, of governments around the world and, and regulatory bodies. So, um, but I think we're pretty far along. I would say we're, we're still a few years away from it being sort of um, commonplace, you know, um, in our daily lives. And if you were looking at what you're working on now and the future of that, what would you say? What do you, what would you say it looks like in the next, you know, five to ten years? Or I guess, in other words, what's your what's your uh, big vision for Yup? You know, where could it go? Well, I think that you know, social networks in general need a serious disruption. They need something new that really puts the users first. And I, I think we should really move from a place where the, the users are the product to a place where the users are the producers, and they actually have ownership over. Uh, the content that they're creating, the data that they're creating, that they get paid directly for being advertised to, and so on and so forth, that they're able to transfer their reputation and influence from one platform to the next, and that they have some sort of self-sovereign identity across the web. And so we think that this will happen with or without Yup, but this is really our vision for Yup as being sort of the core identity that stores all of your data, your sort of value, your followers, and your influence that you can then tap into on every site across the web. Um, really breaking the data silos that we currently see between platforms and putting that value in the hands of users. Um, but, you know, we really see this as inevitable either way, whether it comes from us or it comes from one of the existing uh, uh, big, 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 uh, you know, uh, players in the space or even a new product altogether. We, we definitely feel that it's coming and we think that these companies realize it. You know, Twitter's working on Sky and Reddit just launched tokens for their, for their subreddits. I think we're going to see a lot more of that where, you know, a lot of these platforms don't want to have this responsibility of sort of being accountable for the algorithm. And I think, you know, certainly Dorsey is pushing Twitter in that direction, which is, you know, we want to be able to keep our sort of section, I think it's 203 or 230 uh, level of accountability over the content that's on the platform. But in order to do that, we really have to have like a robust disintermediated way of moderating content. I think that's what Yap allows for. And that's what these different uh, companies and projects are working on. Um, and so I think, you know, in the next five to 10 years, we will see a very different Facebook, a very different, uh, Google, um, to accommodate for these use cases. Um, yeah. And to, to, to make that happen, you'll, you'll, you'll obviously, and to make the, that future, to paint that future, you'll need some help, right? Like you'll need employees, you might need investors, you, you, you might need users. Um, and luckily there's all those group of people that are listening to the podcast. So for my, for my second to last question for you is how can the forward thinking founders community help? Are you fundraising? Are you hiring? Are you looking for partnerships? How can the listeners assist? Yeah, uh, we're, we're currently fundraising. We started not too long ago and the process has been really great. Uh, a lot of people have reached out and super interested, which is great. And we certainly have the runway to feel comfortable for now. The most help that we can get is really just feedback on the product. You know, I think there's plenty of people in, 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 in the audience of forward thinking founders that are nano influencers, that are creators, that are highly opinionated uh, users on these different platforms, primarily Twitter. And uh, we certainly benefit not only from them using it, you know, every single additional opinion that we collect makes our whole platform much more valuable, um, but also in their feedback on the pro project as a whole, right? We went to great lengths to make it very user-friendly for non-crypto people, but it still has its, its inevitable frictions. And so I'm, we're constantly trying to learn from users and get feedback from users on, on how to really make it great. Uh, in addition to that, we're hiring an engineer right now um, to really start with us in November. So if anyone is interested is on the podcast and wants to reach out, please do. Uh, feel free to reach out to me at near at yup.io or just contact us through the website. All right. Well, you just left your email, which is the last question, how people get in touch. Can you just repeat your email one more time so people know yeah. what it is, then we can finish it up? Perfect. Uh, near at yup.io, N-I-R at Y-U-P dot I-O.
All right. Well, you're, you're building something fantastic. I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. And I just appreciate you coming on the podcast. Love to be here. Have a good All right. Thank you so much for listening to the episode of Forward Thinking Founders. If you're sitting there, you're just saying, Matt, I want more. How can I get more? Well, luckily, you can get it at Forward Thinking City. Forward Thinking City is a community for the Forward Thinking Network, right? And we have multiple different aspects of the city. One, we have AMAs. Some of the previous guests that have been on the podcast, like Jonathan Barkle, Kristen Anderson, Austin Allred, come back and they do AMAs with the residents. You can ask them any question that you want, right? You can ask them about fundraising the early days, how they got their customers. We do these every single week with another, you know, really great founder that has been on the podcast. Additionally, um, we have our pitch battles, right? So if you want feedback on your pitch and the opportunity to potentially pitch in front of VCs and talk one-on-one with venture capitalists, this is where to do it. These are monthly pitch battles. So if you don't get in the first time, try again, right? The goal is to improve and get feedback to eventually one, raise, uh, get, get into the room with the VCs, two, raise capital, three, so you can get back to your company and building a great startup, building a great business. The last thing I'll mention is that if you were kind of interested in just community, we have our coffee hours and happy hours where you can meet other residents, learn about what they're working on, talk about social things, anything you want. This is a city for founders. It is for investors. It is for startup enthusiasts. It's for anyone that loves startups. So if you're interested in what I'm saying, Go to forwardthinking.city and join the city for $15 a month. Um, you know, the way, the reason I charge is because I want to be able to do this full time and bring as much value as I possibly can. And I think it's well worth the value. You can ask any of the current residents and they will attest to that. So go to forwardthinking.city, join the city, and you'll see immediately the, the next AMA, the next pitch battle, the next event. And I hope to see you there. Forwardthinking.city. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.